This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So how to how to deal with a child who's not not you know communicating? Yeah, that's very painful. It keeps you guessing the whole time. It makes you feel like you're an emergency room worker uh, for children because they can't ex- you know little baby they can't say what's wrong and you're like like how are you supposed to treat someone who can't tell you wh- where it hurts? You know? So. Okay, let's do that. Um, so we'll go. We'll do that for like ten minutes. Dealing with a child who's not communicating—it's uh, one of the one of the harder things in parenting—is is knowing your child's holding something inside, and and they they do hold. A lot inside. Even in the healthiest household, there, you'll you always could have a kid who's not feeling uh, able to communicate, and um, and obviously we all want to have we want to make sure that our households are are safe emotionally um, for communication. In the European world, sharing of oneself is like is like just so not normal to like really share yourself um, and especially in the day-to-day life of one's household you know it's not like dinner time's time to communicate your whole you know painful the pain in your heart is generally not communicated at dinner time or something with the family and with siblings around and and if your if your home isn't if your home isn't that safe emotionally then your job is to make it safe emotionally. So it's really important to to have a home that's that's safe for feelings to be shared. Um, I grew up in California. In California, that's considered normal that that everyone's going to release their their you know painful emotions of their day at dinner time by sharing them, and and it was considered like normal that at a family dinner on a nightly basis that you can like. Kind of let go of all your painful stuff. Um, it's it's considered it's considered that pain held in is not going to be healthy for anybody, and so so open it up. But it's very different. First of all, the East Coast is different, and then Europeans on the East Coast, which is the Froom community, is not American. They're Europeans, except for the ones under twenty. Those are the Americans. But people are we're, we're an Amer we are a European community living inside America. And Europeans are more closed than than uh, than Europeans living in Europe and Europeans living in New York are way more closed emotionally than uh, a regular American on the East Coast, who are way more closed than New Yorkers. Like for example, I I married my wife. Uh, she's from. Uh, you guys heard of a city called Stamford, Connecticut? Yeah. So my wife's from North Stamford. And the uh, so when she married me, so she would she would when she got it, when I upset her, I got to hear about it usually on the fourth day, uh, which meant we just lost three days of Shana Rishona, you know, like three days gone, and because only only on the fourth day did she open up about what was hurting her. And I just, I, I was from California. I couldn't figure it out. If I feel hurt, 
Well, I'm not, I ain't nobody's fool. I'm not going to spend time brooding over pain in my heart. Like, why would I do that? I'm going to let it out and feel good. You know, like in 2019, you know, in 2019, I won the happiest person in Jerusalem. Did you know that? Did you know there was such an award? Happiest person in Jerusalem. I, I didn't know that either, but some wingnut in Zichon Moshe, you know, not Yosel Goodfarb, but someone else came up to me in, he walks backwards, uh, someone else came up to me in, in Zichon and says, Rabbi Yontev, you win happiest person in Yerushalayim. And I know your trick. And I said, oh yeah, what's my trick? He says, you don't give a damn what anybody thinks about you. And I said to him, I'll take that as a compliment. But that's not why I'm the happiest person. And by the way, it's a compliment because I I probably had the worst, of all the people I've dealt with, I probably still would win the award of most social anxiety. Meaning, until I broke it through. But I really had terrible social anxiety. And the uh, so to, to find out that I won that award was pretty good, at least in his eyes. But the real reason is, is because when I'm sad, I cry. Who's the happiest person in your home? Whoever's two. Who cries the most? Whoever's two. Isn't that interesting that your toddler is the saddest person and the happiest person? Well, isn't that interesting that the person speaking to you right now is the saddest, happiest person? Because when it's sad, I cry. And when it's when it and when it's glad, I'm laughing and I'm having fun. And so the, we can learn this trick from our toddlers that you want to be emotionally healthy. And what does it mean to be emotionally healthy? And that is that you have full spectrum of emotion available to you from the saddest to the happiest. They have to both be available. But in as much as you squelch, I'm going to make up a word, in as much as you squelch your sadness, your happiness will be squelched equally. And so the people who really can't express emotion are going to really not be able to express joy. But someone who can express full spectrum of sadness will be able to express full spectrum of joy. And and, it, and you want to know something? It makes sense. Because God created us. This is, a, By the way, you want to hear a proof of God? We're the only species that lubricates its eye with tear ducts, but we can produce a 100,000 times the amount necessary to lubricate your eye when we're sad. What is that? Where did that come from? Animals don't have that. We're the only being that has it. Well, what's the difference between us and the animals? There's a lot of differences, but one of those differences is we have complex emotional circuitry. We can hold on to stuff forever and not wash it away. Unlike swans, you ever seen swans, beautiful big swans? Those are the large white ducks, gentlemen. Um, you can see swans on a lake fighting territorially, viciously pecking at each other and really you know, ripping each other to shreds. It's, it's, a, it's a trauma. And when they're done fighting, you know, whoever won the territory, but when they're done fighting, the swans, you know, move, they go their opposite ways, but then you'll see them do this crazy shake. They shake their bodies like crazy. And then as soon as they're done shaking, they just, psst, perfect peace. And they're not the only animals that do that. 
And we are, we are just like them. Only the way we shake, like the swan after a fight shakes, we shake with tears. Meaning it's when we cry those tears, do we have peace? And can we be happy? But if you're like most Europeans, you've got so much held up inside, it's a miracle you can even go to the bathroom. And it's actually correlated. They actually say that constipation and emotional constipation, meaning held in pain, are directly correlated with each other. So if you'd like to speed up your metabolism and have less weight on your body and a... A, a digestion that actually removes stuff instead of holds on to it, then I suggest you learn how to cry and be safe into your feelings, leaning into them, not leaning away from them, lean into them. Human beings have a way of leaning away from pain, and that's a perfect way to make sure you're always in pain. Whereas those who lean into pain and go through it, well, once I've gone through it, I get to go out the other side. And so with some courage, I can go into my pain. You know, in my seminars, we have a lot of hours together. It's four days. We're together about 25 hours. And that time we spend, some of the depths of what comes out of us could never come out in 50 minutes of therapy. If you think about... A lot of therapy sessions, you know, um, I don't know about women, but by men, if we went to therapy, it would be like, it would only be at about 40 minutes that we started feeling safe. At about 45 minutes of our 50, we're actually starting to say stuff. And then about five minutes later, which would be about 15 minutes before we would start to actually start moving to tears. But about five minutes later, they say, okay, that's it for today. Let's get together next week. And so the volcano never erupts. And so you're just living on a on what's called a dormant volcano. If you were going to buy land, would you like to live on a on a dead volcano or a dormant volcano? If you were buying land on an island in Greece, which one would you like? Dormant or dead? <laughs> if there's no volcano, there's no island. You got to have the volcano. Otherwise there's no beautiful island to build a home on. You want your you want your volcano on a dead volcano, because then your real estate's a lot better. It's a lot cheaper insurance, and you're all set. The thing's dead. A dormant volcano is where most of us have our homes, and it makes us shaky. It's hard to be secure if you're holding in pain. Pain is to be released. That's what it's for. And this system of emotional release that's built in us is a proof of God. Like, how does our body, how does our anatomy create a thousand times the tears necessary to lubricate our eyes? Now, what do you do if you've passed on this trait to your children? And you got little kids who, you can see they come home from school with these big eyes, you know something happened, or you know, like, you know they're suffering, and they're not saying They're not sharing. And you're just guessing away like some emergency 
pediatric care doctor who sees the kids like turning blue and the kid can't say what happened. Nor can the parents. They don't know. And so there you are like kind of suffering over your kid who's not sharing his or her heart. And the answer, the, the reason being both because you've, you live in a culture, meaning your own personal culture, and then your family culture, and then your, the greater European East Coast culture, is don't share. Don't trust, don't share. Don't trust, don't share, because trust and share go together. But it's also, forget trust and share. You can't even go there alone, because if I went there, I'd, I would die if I were to feel my pain. But I'll tell you something over all the years. I've, I've had something like 12,000 people through the possible year. We have not lost one yet. I've seen some intense pain come out of people. And by the way, the seminar is not d- designed to do that. It's just that I've, years ago I said, you know what? We're together for four days. We might as well give them, turn off all the lights, turn up the music so no one knows who's the one crying and just like, <sighs> whoever needs to really, Whosever volcano needs to erupt, let's go for it. But uh, the first 15 years, the possibility was working perfectly fine without that. But what happened was spontaneously, one seminar, everyone just like started volcanically erupting. So I just shut off the lights and like turned up the meditation music and just went for the full eruption. Ever since then, I, I still uh, I, it's still programmed in there. What's funny about it is the people who would never want to come to a seminar that has that happen come up to me afterwards and they're like, I'm so jealous. Like, why, why didn't I get that? And I'm like, because you're not supposed to get that right. It's for when someone's ready to get it. Then you get it. But you never know. It might you might Your volcano might erupt on the Palisades Parkway. One day I was mountain biking in Jerusalem and I was coming down the trails and my ear pods, which are obviously cranking highly technical instrumental music, the my I get that I get Siri on my ears saying uh, telephone call from eight four five duck 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 answer it and I'm like yeah it's a month after a seminar in, in Muncie and the, whoever you know to answer I said hello whoever it was couldn't even talk and then I'm like he popped. It's that guy who came up to me afterwards and said, why didn't I? Why didn't I? And that was the guy who would never have wanted that. But it happened. It just happened later. We call it popping in the seminar. So that we call that now, no matter what city you do the seminar, we call it the Palisades Parkway Pop, the PPP. And he, pull, he had to pull over because he didn't have windshield wipers for his eyes. And he, he pulled over, and I spoke to him for like two hours while I'm mountain biking in the forest of Jerusalem. At one point, a squad car pulled up in front of him, and I had to talk to the cop. He couldn't talk. I talked to the cop through the speakerphone. Hi, Rabbi Glazer in Jerusalem. Um, the person uh, crying here has recently done my seminar, and he's just uh, popped. And But he's fine. Go ahead. And he's like, you sure? And I'm like, he's good. Just go. Anyway, but they, but that's not. That was never my goal. It's not the goal of the, the possible. You, that's not the goal of seminar. So I'm not here to scare anyone away. But it's just. Uh, I, I figured if we're together four days, we might as well take advantage of some release. And so we we have that section. It's a short section. 
And by the way, it's only on the third day when everyone's kind of completely brainwashed. So it's not like you're still with all your defenses up. Um, and I'll finish. I just want to say one last thing about that is the uh, uh, seminar is about to go, the possible is about to go like ballistic right now, speaking of volcanoes, because I now, after 21 years, I'm officially only running it sometimes. I have trained 12 leaders who are some of the most... I have 12,000 graduates, and I have identified 12 of the most awesome human beings that have ever come through my seminar who've got the emotional intelligence and the intellectual intelligence and the presence and entertainment of abilities to blow people away. And it's starting in January in every city for men and for women. Um, the seminar is going to be led every city multiple times, uh, meaning every month uh, by the leaders that I've trained. So we're in very exciting times right now. Um, so what do you do with your child who's in that culture and she's not sharing, he's not sharing? I can only tell you what I do. What I do, well, first of all, I do not force it out of them. I do not force anything out of them. Who knows if what they went through was already a forced situation, and that's why they're so hurt. So I'm going to force two. I'm not going to force anything. I'm going to usually take a walk with them as the first of many until they can open their heart and spend a lot of quality time with them until they can speak. If they're very young, like six, seven, eight, five, four, I will speak for them and watch whether they nod or shake their head. And if they nod, so we're on to something, I'll go there for a while until they shake their head. And then I'll go start talking about more until they nod. It took me two long walks with my eight-year-old son when he finally, he finally opened up a little and he f- I got him to f- say two words and those two words were I- I'm hated and I was shocked because this kid's the sweetest kid I ever met and and you know he, he gave me, and he gave me proof examples of being bullied by kids in school kids at the park by by uh, his sisters the he I mean he we took a trip and he got bullied by random people in a shul. And, you know, it was, it was, um, you know, he was right that he was hated, at least in his eyes. But now we were, now we could talk about it. And now we could identify as he really hated. And then I could discuss with him whether I'm hated is causing the bullying or the bullying caused I'm hated, which is an interesting discussion. But we did identify that, well, I was able to teach him that I, I'm hated is, is not the, uh, I mean, it might have been the very first bullying, but it's, <laughs> once it's happened, you know, it's just like, uh, in the U.S. when someone's been, ass- if someone's been assaulted, there's a 1% of, be- of a person being assaulted in the U.S. Um, if they were already assaulted, it should now be a zero percentage chance because it already happened to that individual. But the actual statistic can go up to 40% chance of being assaulted a second time 
and then it goes up even higher for a third once they've that's happened anyway but I said to him you're hated okay so I'm hated that's a belief right and I said what are you going to do about being hated and he says I'm going to avoid people and I'm going to fight which is exactly what he was doing and and then I said to him well what's it going to what's your life going to look like how's that going to look and he said lousy I'm going to spend my whole life avoiding people, and when I can't, I'm going to fight with them. It's going to be lousy. I said, so is it really true you're hated? And he was like, looking at me like, starting to change his mind a little bit. And I said, you're not hated. You're, you're, the lo- most, you're, you're a really lovable kid who's caught up in a I'm hated loop that's chasing after you right now. And you're really a beautiful kid. And we were walking home. It was Lil Shabbos. And we get home after I made him say I'm lovable. I think 200 times. I don't know how many times. But we walked together and he had to say I'm lovable like 200 times. By the way, adults can't do this. This is a trick you can do with kids is reprogram. Reprogram their vibrations that the, that the bullies pick up on. So we reprogrammed him all the way back to our house. We get home. Little Shabbos, eating Shabbos, and the and on my left is this boy Moishi. On my right, who's Brooksham married, and he's right now driving back from Utah. He had just passed Las Vegas like an hour ago. Um, he's on his honeymoon with his new wife. Anyway, Moishi's sitting here. He's eight years old. On my right is my son of Rummy, who's here on Shabbos. He drove me here from Borough Park, and uh, he's married, lives in Borough Park, and. Um, and then the rest of my kids. But the girl who's most mean to Moishi, that he fights with the most, when Avrami went to help serve the soup, she came to sit next to me. And we finished a Zemmer, and she looks over at Moishi, and she says to Moishi, Moishi, you are the most, you are the cutest, sweetest, most delicious boy in the world. I want to eat you up. And Moishi looks at me like this. You told her. I didn't tell her. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.